Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy. We want to welcome all our listeners that are tuning in with us on this now date of April the 2nd, 2020. Something powerful is taking place. God is moving and God is speaking. About 15 uh, days ago, this, which is, this is now our 15 consecutive podcast. And I say this because about 15 days ago, uh, you know, we were just doing what we're doing and God just brought us together, brought this panel together. And we just felt in our heart to just begin to speak about what we saw taking place. And it's now, we're now on our 15th day or 15th hour and we're still conversating as the Lord is taking us deep into the word of God. And we give God the glory for the things that we are hearing that are taking place uh, with many that are listening, uh, are getting a better understanding. God is um, in reviving their spirit, and they are searching the scriptures. And that's exactly what we uh, give God glory for, because that's, that's the intended desire, is for the church to awake, and it's for the church to declare that Jesus is coming again. And without further ado, we want to get straight into our our, our podcast. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here with uh, Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, Brother Marty, and to be able to share the word of the Lord together. And uh, there's exciting things that are taking place, and yet things that are that are really are coming out in in what we've been teaching from the Word of God. And so today, open your eyes, your ears. Have your Bible with us as we're going to go into the scriptures. And I believe that God has fresh manna. You see, that's when the people of God were in Israel, the manna that they received was fresh every morning. The, the commandment of the Lord was do not save some for the next day except the day before Passover, telling us that God has a fresh word for us every single day if we seek him, if we search it, we shall find it. So be encouraged today and be blessed. And Brother Marty, I'll give it to you this morning. God bless you. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be, to, good to be together again. And, and we're looking forward to, to what the Spirit of the Lord will allow us to, to see and discuss today. We've been hearing some really good reports uh, as these podcasts are beginning to spread in different places and in all different directions. It truly is a move of the Spirit of God, and, and for that, we're thankful to Him. And we pray that today, uh, as we dig into the Word, that you will be encouraged, strengthened, and enlightened by the Spirit of the Lord. Let us review a little bit about yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the event that took place after the resurrection of Lazarus. For those of you just listening for the first time, we encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, uh, specifically beginning probably around podcast nine, which has led us up to this, because you'll hear a whole uh, wealth of, of, of spiritual revelation, we pray, uh, humbly so, uh, leading up to, yeah. and it'll catch you up to speed to where we are today. But as we were reviewing yesterday, we began to consider that after the resurrection of Lazarus, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes back uh, to Bethany after having uh, had to leave and withdraw himself as Lazarus' resurrection set in motion a whole series of events. We've been talking about how the sickness of Lazarus came uh, <clears throat> came to him, resulting in his death just prior to Passover. And as we've been, been applying the, me the metaphoric understanding of that with the prophetic lens as the scripture teaches us, we were liking in it today uh, in our time and in, in what we're going through today because we believe that the Spirit of the Lord had us go into this story to begin to glean some understanding as to what is actually taking place as it relates to this pandemic that has swept the whole world. Indeed, a sickness has come just like in the time of Lazarus, but it also has come as did Lazarus's sickness just before the Passover. And so we began to point out by the Spirit of the Lord that it is very interesting how that these things are taking place just before Passover. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, Passover and Easter uh, basically are, are, are one and the same thing. Uh, we call it Easter in the Christian West. The, the Jewish people call it Passover. 
because it it re- it reflects the story of how the children of Israel were released from Egypt after a series of plagues and and judgments came upon Egypt, which is a type of the world. And just before the children of Israel were let go during that first Passover, we talked about that, which you can find in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 23, I believe it is, where a plague of darkness came upon the land that forced the entire world of that day uh, uh, to, to go into their houses. Literally, they were on lockdown. And we were just talking about how we believe the Spirit is saying that is the only place we can really find in Scripture, and in fact, in the entirety of world history, where the last time uh, the entire world, or at least that's what Egypt in that story represents, the entirety of the world, was literally forced into their homes and locked down. And as it's pointed out there in Exodus chapter 10, right, it says that though darkness came upon the, the face of the earth, uh, it was a darkness that could be felt, a foreboding uh, darkness, a, 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 a darkness that produced fear and anxiousness. And literally for, for all uh, effective purposes, it, it blinded them that were, that were in Egypt at the time, with the exception of the children of Israel, the children of God. Because it says there in verse 23, I believe it is, that, that even though there was darkness in the land, uh, a kind of darkness that, 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 that brought an inability to see, there was yet light in the houses of the children of Israel. It's that light in the time of darkness that, that we've begun to talk about because Jesus is the light. And so yes, it, is. It, is light, right? it is the light that brings uh, illumination in the midst of the darkness, and it is with that same understanding that the light of the Holy Spirit is now beginning to reveal things to us, which is what we have seen in the story of Lazarus. And so we've gone through the story, and we began to say and to talk about how that when the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, it, it set in motion a series of events that will that would ultimately culminate with his crucifixion on Calvary. And it occurred just before the Passover. We began to talk about after that event, which you guys can read in in John chapter 11, those of you who are following us in your Bible, that after that event, that the church split. There were those who believed on the Lord coming out of that event of sickness, death, a pandemic, if you will. And yet there was another half that went back to the establishment. We've been laying forth the premise that the establishment is very reflective of the kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, the kind of situation that we have now in the Christian West, particularly in the United States of America, where where our attention is drawn to Caiaphas, the scribes, and the high priests. We began to explore, and you can go back and review these things in these previous podcasts of how over the years a a ruling class of sorts in the religious setting, a religious elite began to to emerge over the last 20, 30 years to the point that we, we have what we have today. By and large, the message that's going forth that purports to be the gospel, which has been happening over the last 20, 30 years, has evolved uh, pretty much out of the hyper-charismatic and Pentecostal churches. They became the ones who began to control the media dissemination of the gospel. This gave them enormous power because what it entitled them to do, because they control the levers and they they control the broadcasting, is to mold and to shape the message that's been going out over the last 30 years. It is a message that began to depart from the true orthodoxy of the gospel and began to morph itself into a pseudo-gospel or a fake gospel that began to draw attention away from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father and his second coming and his kingdom to instead a gospel of health and wealth and all sorts of introspection, a gospel that pointed the finger to what my needs could be. And, you know, I want my house, I want my car, I want my, you know, million dollars. I mean, it began to be a gospel that was so distorted. And it also was a gospel that began to relax the standards of of the foundational principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point now that we've heard of pastors that do Bible studies in, in, in bars on Wednesday night, you know, cause they want to be relevant to the culture or, or they're all tatted right. up. Right. You know, they think they're cool because mm-hmm. they wear those, 
those tight black sh- v-neck shirts those ripped up skinny jeans their spiked hair and a tattoo that says jesus is lord on their right bicep right so i mean and this is the reflection of what they call men of god but that is you know they wouldn't really fit in with the john the baptists right who hung out in the wilderness ate honey wild honey and locusts and, and wore camel's hair two completely different looking uh messages but the point is, is that it reached that level as it was in the time of, of when the Lord came. And so what ends up happening is that is that a great uh, miracle took place. And the thesis of what we're saying is that this pandemic that we're experiencing, it is not unto death. That is that we're not, we haven't reached the end of the world. But what we do believe is that we've reached the point where it's quite possible that the switch has been flipped and we have now begun to enter into the days of sorrow, quite possibly right on the fringes or the edges of what might be launching the tribulation period spoken of by the holy prophets. And so it was. And in Brother this, Marty, and, and, and I'll just interject this little this quickly. Uh, Governor Cuomo uh, said that that very thing um, that we we will emerge really? from this into a different world. Those were his words. Now this is the heathen saying that. You know, right. So it's just it's just going with what you're saying. Yeah, go ahead, brother. No, but that's that's exactly what we're saying and what we believe the, the scriptures is indicating. And so when we began to apply the the prophetic lens to these things, because remember, as we have said before, when you read the historical narrative, when you read the the, the scripture, you're reading a historical narrative of events that actually took place. However. Also, the Bible teaches us that what happens in the beginning, that is in the historical narrative, is the framework and the foreshadow of what was meant to happen or what will happen in the end of days just before the coming of the Lord. And so it's with that principle in mind that we began to examine the scriptures. And we began to see incredible patterns emerging out of the scripture that seem to be trumpeting to us, that is those that are seeking the Lord, and those of you out there that are listening, that are seeking the Lord uh, by the scriptures, that it is quite possible that we have entered in, as we were saying, to the beginning of sorrows, if not the very fringes of the beginning of the tribulation period. Well, this brought us, after Lazarus's resurrection, to yesterday's story. As we went in the story, we came to an event that takes place, which is two days before the Passover. So Passover is nearing, and as Passover begins to near, and, and, and he's just about a day and a half away from being put on trial and from being crucified, something happens that is an incredible uh, foreshadow of what we are going to get in today. And we won't take very long because there's so much to cover, but we're going to dig into some things today that I pray by the Spirit you'll be, you'll be able to hear. Now, what we're told is that when Jesus leaves because his life and the life of his disciples were threatened by the ruling class or the establishment, which is, for all intents and purposes, what's been happening over the last 20 or 30 years, the real Jesus, the real uh, believers in the Lord, those who love God with all their hearts and, and, and have been seeking him and hanging out with him, they just don't fit in the establishment anymore. How many times have we heard how many people have have really gone uh, to their services or to their churches only to be left feeling empty and and void of a true spiritual encounter with the Lord, even to the point where they end up uh, saying, you know what, I I can't even go there. And, And really, over the last several years, a movement of sorts has been taking place in many and multiple communities across the United States. Where, where several families or neighbors are just getting together on Sunday mornings or Saturdays or whatever, and they're gathering around the Bible, they're singing a few songs, and they're having church in their home. Not because they want to be rebellious, but because they want the real thing. They don't want this pseudo-megachurch, uh, phony gospel that's being presented to them. They don't need to go to church only to encounter a, a, a darkened a darkened venue where you can't even bring your Bible because they've turned down the house lights and they put the spotlight on the, the latest fair-haired star of the day where the music's so loud that, that they can't even enter into praise and worship. And all of this has so alienated the Marthas, the Marys, the Lazaruses, and those within the house. Go ahead. Are you going to say something? No, no. Keep oh. going. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so here we are. Jesus comes now. He's he's come and 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 he comes to back to Bethany where the scene of the raising of Lazarus was. And and what that resurrection or that pandemic, if you will, or that sickness that led to the death of Lazarus produced was the resurrection of Lazarus. And what we have been putting forth is that coming out of this, a true church is being born. If you will, it is a church that is being called back from the dead. Those of you who have long ago, you know, basically, uh, you know, issued forth a collective sigh of despair to the point of almost feeling like it'll never happen. And you've reached that point of death. Suddenly, like the Lord told Martha in that chapter 11, he said, uh, when he told her, he that believeth on me, though he were dead, he said, yet shall he live. And so that is kind of what we're putting forth, is that a loud voice is going forth now in the midst of this global pandemic that is beginning to awaken that part of you that still has held on to your belief in Christ. He has reached into the tomb, if you will, of your despair, and suddenly you're becoming awake through this. Because the events of the day and what is what is transpiring across the globe is literally shaking everything that can be shaken, from the highest politician to the greatest general to the lowest pauper in the village in Africa, across north, south, east, and west, the entire world is being shaken. And so is the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coming alive just as Lazarus had. Now, this this triggers some events, and this is where we are today. He returns after raising him from the dead just two days before the crucifixion. And so he comes into Bethany, which, by the way, we've talked about the house of misery. The house of misery can be likened to our time, because I've never seen a more miserable time on the planet that I, than I've seen right now. That is, in my time at least, and I'm almost 60 years old. can't even believe I'm saying that. But I'm almost 60 years old, and I've and I've never I've lived through the 60s, you know, the the radical hippies, you know, through the free love and sex, drugs and rock and roll of the 70s and the 80s, the you know the tech boom of the 90s, and into the terrorist uh, days of the early 21st century, on and on and on. But never have we seen such a scene as we're seeing now, and because of that, it should alert the spiritually adept that we are living at a time of great, great trial. And, and in these kinds of moments, we need to focus on the prophetic events that are transpiring before us. Are you guys there? Yes, yes we are. Amen. Yes, we are, brother. We're following. <laughs> okay. So now this brings us to this event. He comes to Bethany, the house of misery. It is as if the Lord is is here. He's He's moving by his spirit in the house of misery, which really this planet has become a house of misery right now. But there, right. there's a sub-house within the house, right? There's yeah. a subtext within the text, and that is what we see in, in, in John chapter 12, which is where we are right now, because they make Jesus a dinner, and he comes to the house. And this is just days before the Passover. And the Passover, remember, and we're going to get into this in the coming days, the Passover is is the thing that God continues to return to throughout the scripture, almost as if it's a giant sign in front of us that that is notifying us that the Passover is yet to be fulfilled in its greatest expression. Because the Passover is coming. And that Passover right. is this, that, that, that a lamb was slain 2,000 years ago and a lamb was slain 2,000 years before that. In the original Exodus, a lamb was slain, the blood was applied to the house. 2,000 years later, the true lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, was slain, and the blood flowed from the cross. Just as the, the blood was applied to the top and the two side posts of the door the night the destroyer passed through, so the Lord was hung with his head at the top and his hands reaching to the left and to the right. The blood was applied and flowed from the cross in every single direction, and it became the 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 real Passover. And as we talked about this, and we came now to this account, we see that the Lord comes to a supper just before the Passover. This speaks of a, of a deep fellowship that's about to take place and is already taking place. 
because in the account that we're about to see, what we what we witness here is a very prophetic event that has application for our time. First of all, consider in verse 2, it says they made him a supper. John chapter 12, verse 2, they made him a supper. Martha is serving. Lazarus is at the table. And then our attention is drawn to Mary. If you go over to Mark chapter 14, and you can do that at your own time, or Matthew 26, uh, verse 6, you will see the same story is is recorded in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel and now in John's gospel. But each one of those stories opens up a different element to the story. And so this is done by the Spirit of God, one, to conceal prophetic truth, and two, to give us the additional pieces necessary to put the puzzle of prophetic fulfillment together for our time. Now listen, what we learn from those other accounts is that at this uh, dinner that they're having, there are four people uh, that are basically our, our attention is drawn to right away. One is this supper occurred in, in Simon the leper's house. The supper also occurred, we're told, in Simon the leper's house, but present was Martha, Mary, and Lazarus sitting at the table. This is this is so reflective of where we are right now because as we were already laying the foundation about the Lazarus being a, a, a remnant church out there that in despair for all intents and purposes died to their desire, if you will, or belief that they could have the kind of fellowship with Jesus that they so longed for. But precisely through an event of a, of a pandemic, if you will, it awakened. The Spirit of God has come to them and called them forth from the dead. So when we see this situation, what we see are four components, and they make up the four components of the church that will be present in this glorious church we're getting ready to talk about. Because what we see, first of all, it's going to be made up of Simon the leper. What does Simon the leper represent? A whole group of people, because leprosy represents sin, sin that corrodes and that eats away at a person's life. But see, when Jesus comes, he, he's called Simon the leper, but he had been, actually been healed by the Lord. He was no longer Simon the leper. But the Bible wants us to identify with that because it wants us to understand that coming out of this, a great deliverance is coming to those who have been wrestling with sin. And they're going to be able to have the Lord come to their house before they will have been delivered and they will have been set free. And so that's Amen. the first component of this church. Secondly, Amen. we see secondly we see Lazarus at the table. This is really a profound, beautiful nugget from the Spirit, because you out there who long ago have 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 uh, have, have 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 by the Spirit of God shunned false religion, but couldn't find a place of fellowship, and for all uh, you know reflective purposes, you reach the point of a death in your own spirituality. Not that you ever gave up believing on the Lord. It's just you got tired. You got so doggone tired of the phoniness and of the lack of spirituality and the lack of the presence of God that that kind of expression, which you needed, basically caused you to die. And But you didn't die completely because deep within your heart, all you needed to hear was the loud voice of an event where you could hear the right. echo of the voice of your Savior bring you back to life. And that's what happened, and that's what Lazarus represents. And not only bring you back to life, but sit you at the table. Those that have shunned you, those that have forgotten you, those that said you were a fanatic, and go down the list, right? Now you're sitting at right. the table with Jesus, man. And that's what Amen. he's doing. He's bringing Hallelujah. the people out, and he's going to sit and fellowship with you, and, and, and you're going to have supper with him. What does that speak? They sat at meat, right? That's what it says in one of the other gospels there of this account. The meat of the word is about to be given to the Simons who used to be lepers, to the Lazaruses who he's called forth from the dead. And, and there will also be this other component, the Martha component. What does she represent? She represents the initial servants of the Lord, the servants of the Lord who will hear that Jesus is coming. Because remember, if you go back into John chapter 11, you'll see that the house was filled with a bunch of people from the establishment trying to comfort them because her brother had died. But something happens. She hears that Jesus is coming and she leaves the house. 
What is indicative of Martha is that she was always serving, right? There's accounts in the scripture where it says Martha was serving, cumbered about with servants. Well, this is speaking to that servant of the Lord who will first hear that Jesus is coming. And then she comes to Mary, if you remember the account, and speaks to her secretly. Mary's the worshiper, right? Now, so these four components are going to be in the house. Those who used to be lepers, those who have come back from the dead, those that are the mm. servants of the Lord, and those that are the worshipers of the Lord, all four of them will make up this glorious church that we're talking about right now. Jesus is in wow. the house with them. Now check this out. Verse 3, as we talked about yesterday, Mary does something very interesting in, in John chapter 12, verse 3. She breaks the seal of of an alabaster box and pours ointment on his feet. And what we pointed out yesterday was that Mark chapter 14, you can read it there if you go back, and, and those of you listening, you go back and look there. John only mentions that she pours the oil of this alabaster box, this precious ointment on his feet. Mark reveals to us at this dinner that she first poured the oil or the ointment on his head. And what we began to see by the Spirit was what the Holy Spirit is revealing there is that Jesus, who represents the whole body of Christ, remember, at this time, because he's present. There was no church yet. You know, there was a church that would come after he rose from the dead, right? But prior to that, he was the whole enchilada. Sorry, I don't mean to be. <laughs> but, I mean, he was the whole thing. <laughs> Get close to love. It's already noon. <laughs> yeah, it's almost due, right? No, no, God help me. So anyway, so they push, she pours the oil first on his head. And, and, and what Jesus goes on to say is that she's done this for my burial. So basically what's being revealed by the Spirit is, is that first the head would have to die. And that it would, be, it would produce a fragrant odor that would fill the universe, fill heaven itself. It filled the house where they were at. So Mark points that out, but then John in chapter 12 points out she does something else, which isn't included in the Matthew or Mark account of this event. John points out that she also anointed his feet. And so what that represents to us and what is being hidden there by the Spirit of God, for those who have eyes to see, is that the feet represent the last remnant of his body at the end of days that that body is going to be called, just as the head was, into a, into a persecuted position, just as the Lord was persecuted, just as the Lord was put on trial, just as the Lord had to go through a Gethsemane. So will the feet, which were also anointed for burial, have to go through a persecution, have to go through a trial. Some will have to be also lay down their lives, even as the head laid down his life. This is now the thing that begins to open up to us what Jesus meant, take up your cross and follow me. He also said, he that seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall be saved. Now, when we talked about what produced the oil was the breaking of a seal, what we we're talking about there is it's a foreshadow of the seals that will be broken in the book of Revelation. And we took you over there and showed you how that the breaking of the fifth seal is, is the fulfillment of what we see in, in the ointment being poured on the feet of Jesus. That is, the fifth seal unleashes a persecution that comes against the church. Now, we see this at this dinner. Because after she pours the oil on his feet, we see a foreshadow of what the book of Revelation says will come. It's the first time that we see Judas mentioned in the story. Because when Mary pours the oil on his feet and she wipes it with her hair, remember what we talked about yesterday, the hair of the woman, according to the scripture, is the glory of a woman. And so the fact that this oil is poured out on the feet representing the end-time church, his body, at the end, and she wipes it with her hair, it is a hint by the Spirit of God that this represents a glorious church 
that will be called to this glorious expression of 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 worship in the very laying down of their lives and resisting the antichrist and his spirit and this is why john by the spirit of god after she she wipes his feet with her hair he points out the whole house becomes filled with the fragrance of the presence of the lord of this beautiful ointment because what the spirit of god is trying to tell us there is this church made up of of the Simons who used to be lepers, the Lazarus that have been called from the dead, the servants who began to first proclaim the coming of the Lord, ultimately gives way to a glorious church represented by Mary's hair wiping his feet, yes. which will produce a fragrance of the Spirit such as not been seen since the beginning of, of the ministry of our Master. But it's this very event that what reveals or sets in motion a reaction. That reaction, it says in verse 4, came from one of his disciples whose name was Judas Iscariot, which should betray him. So it's as soon as this church becomes a glorious church and has a revelation of what it's being called to, where it's headed. Now remember, don't lose sight of what we've been talking about. It comes out of a Lazarus event, of a pandemic, of a sickness that carries with it death just before the Passover. And we were talking about the same thing. We're saying that we are experiencing a sickness. We are experiencing a pandemic. And if you have eyes to see and you're grown up enough by the grace of God at this point in your spirituality, you will see the metaphor and the prophetic lens of this story in that the same thing is happening now. And it is like it was then just before a Passover. And what we're saying is that coming out of it, because Lazarus will raise from the dead, is that a glorious church is about to be born. And what she's going to know is that she, she's going to have a revelation from the Spirit that what lies ahead is a bumpy, turbulent, uh, you know, river of rapids, if you want to call it, that, that, that's, that's being unleashed now. Now, I already see that spirit working, which is going to produce a persecution. We've seen some really crazy, hyper-charismatic pastors already doing things that are causing them to be identified as being the church. Uh, you know, right. in the midst of, right? Talk a little bit about that. You shared a little bit today about that one pastor. Would you, Brother Fernando, what is he doing? Are you talking about the one in Pennsylvania? Yeah, what did he say he's going to do? Oh, he said uh, during Easter he's going to do an outdoor event, and he likened it unto Woodstock, um, and and to go against the whole uh, the whole shutdown situation that the government's trying to impose. So he is going to willingly go against uh, the law of the land uh, in protest to what they did to the other preacher in Tampa, Florida. Where he got mm -hmm. arrested for holding for holding service with a couple thousand people, um, so we see we see that this delusion that is taking over the the preachers in in, in the land of America as though they are above reproach, or though they're above the law, you know, because of, yeah. of the like you said the, the the kind of teachings that they have been teaching for the last twenty or thirty years in the church that uh, if you have the right amount of faith or if you have faith, you can overcome anything. Right. And, and and so so we see what you're talking about is 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 coming to the forefront with these preachers. They're coming under a strong delusion. And they are. And and what it, what that is working? What I'm saying by you sharing that story is what that is actually working is a resentment, and 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 it's beginning to stoke the embers of hatred towards the quote unquote church. Even though it's the false church doing this stupidity, yet we all come under the label of it. Remember, right. Judas was in the exactly. house, right? He was in the house with when all this was going on. He was in the house. And so, but there comes a moment that will separate the houses. But one of them is going to give themselves over when we come out of this pandemic and become a false church. And one of them will be the true. And that's where we are. And so what Martin, do we see? Yes, go ahead. This is something powerful because the action 
that Mary took, it's not that anybody told her. She was simply moved by the Spirit, by, by the spirit of God and urgency. And she's the one who initiated that by the Spirit of God, which initiated that in Mary to break that, that, that pound of ointment and anoint from the head all the way to the feet of Jesus. And this is powerful. Yeah. Because yes. this is twofold. It's it's showing us what you are what you are telling us, what you've been telling us. A a re, the feet represent a remnant church in yes. this hour. And it also brings out the true motive of the false church. Now this yes. is powerful because I see here a connection here. Remember, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. What did he do? First of all, he knew that the devil had come into the heart of Judas, right, to betray him. And what does he do? He rises up from supper. He lays aside his garments. He takes a towel. He girdles himself. He pours water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded, and I see a connection there with what we're talking about with Mary. Well, you're absolutely right, which is, which we will get to, and that's a that's a. Like, I don't want to get into that yet, but that's where okay. we're headed. Because remember, remember, it's after this foot washing of the Lord that He then additionally washes His servants, right? See, yes. See, there's a there's a distinction between the Mary act and the act of our Lord. And they're very, very important because one represents the whole church, which will be a glorious church, which is represented by her hair. And she, and she, she washes his, his feet with the ointment, which represents that remnant at the end, you know, the, 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 the uttermost part of the body of Christ. Right. And, and yeah. he says, this is happening for my burial, which is a foreshadow of the opening of the seal which leads to a persecution of the church globally as the rise of this antichrist system happens. But again, like you pointed out, which we'll get into in the coming days, Lord willing, when Jesus washes the feet, he's washing the feet of his servants that will be the caretakers of his church in this time. He does it with water and says, it's the word, right? He says, it's the washing of the water of the word. Now you are clean through the word, which I've spoken you, but not all of you, because one of you is a devil, right? So we'll get into that because it's very symbolic and it's pointed toward the preachers in this hour. Because remember, even though we're part of the church, we are also called as ministers, if you're a minister out there or anyone who shares the word uh, or a Bible study or whatever you got, what you do, remember, a responsibility is coming when Judas goes out into the night. And it is a responsibility for the caretaking of the church. That's what all that is symbolic about. And you're very correct. But it is the washing of the feet. But let's 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 dig in here a little bit. Let's get, let's get a little deeper, just for the next ten minutes or so, and then we'll we'll close and we'll pick this up again tomorrow. Listen. So now we've come to the point where where the great fragrance has filled the house, and when that event happens, which we are putting forth in our thesis that that's what's going to come out of this pandemic, a whole new expression of the church, but a separation and a division will take place between the real and the true, uh, the true and the real and the false. There's coming a division between the true and the false. And it's this very act. It is so deep, brothers. I don't want to hurry through it because the Holy Spirit is revealing it. He's saying it's this very act. It was so deep and so spiritual that it requires that the Holy Spirit to reveal it. But in her act of washing his feet with this blessed odor, which this ointment, which he said was for his burial, what is being hidden and yet revealed in our time was the very act was representative of that final end time part of the body of Christ, who will be a glorious church represented by her hair, and that it is a fragrant sacrifice before the Lord that's about to take place. And the very transition 
the very transformational thing that's taking place with God's people right now all over the world. It may We're all in different places in it, but it's happening is what begins to expose and bring forth that opposing force. The one that waits in the wings, the one that is coming, that wicked one. And that's why Judas suddenly appears when this happens. And, and, and yet he also, he remember, he hasn't become the son of perdition yet. Because that doesn't happen until the event that you were referencing, Pastor Jeremy. When the Lord says, I'm going to dip my, my, this bread in, in, in the dish, right? And the one who eats it, he's the one. And after he eats that piece of bread at the Last Supper, it says Satan enters him. That's when he becomes the type of, of, the, of the Antichrist. But until this point, he, be, he begins to manifest as a false church, right? Yes. Because it's this glorious church represented by Mary at the end of time that suddenly another church manifests. And who is this? Who does he represent? And that's where we're going. Because verse 4 says, as soon as that event happens, Judas, which would betray him, says this. Why shouldn't have this ointment been sold? He begins to reflect, and we're going to go there real quick, the Laodicean spirit. Because so, Brother, he, Brother Marty, uh, you're saying that prior to this pandemic, uh, the way the world, and I just, I just want to make sure uh, the listeners understand and, and we understand you, is that uh, prior to this pandemic, the way the world viewed the church uh, they were really looking at the acts of the false church, but yes, yes, uh, we correct. all fall under that label yes. as Christians, because right now uh, the false church is is what's in, the, in at the forefront forefront right now, and, and it's the focus of attention of the world. So the world yes. doesn't even know what's really taking place within the church world. That there yes. is a remnant that doesn't agree with. The well, the false church that's that's on Christian television and Christian radio and 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 because of the spiritual monopoly uh, uh, monopolizing that has taken place, but you're saying that out of this pandemic is going to come forth a move of God and yes. a remnant people that will begin to uh, uh, bring a divide and a distinguishing will begin to take place. And we, but, we see and, that and, by 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 Judas going into the night, and 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 that's where it begins. Like okay, yeah, it's like Jesus is saying we don't we can't have that. We don't want that. You know that's, that's not right. us. That's exactly yeah. right. And as a matter of fact, it's it's kind of old fashioned, right? You know, it's a bit extreme. But 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 wait. Also, I I, I don't want to. No, lose that's ex- but that's that's exactly that's exactly what the Bible saying though. Yeah, and and I don't want to lose what your train of thought was saying there. Because remember, and we're we're taking our time here because we're really trying to express something here. It's as if Mary, in her very act, the Spirit is speaking to us in this end time because she has a revelation. Jesus says, he says to her, and he says to all of them, he says, she has done this for my burying. It's as if she understood something. That the head, the head would die first, and in the end she would consummate. Because remember, this also has, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, allusions to that beautiful picture that is given in the book of Ruth, where she lays at Boaz's feet. Yes. It's good. And And she becomes his bride. And and it's as if. The Spirit is, forgive me, because the Spirit is saying, listen, church, she has a revelation of what's going to be required of the body of Christ at the end. And she understood that the head would go before us. So she anoints his head first. But in the act of anointing his feet, a revelation is revealed by the Lord saying, she knows she's doing this for my burial. This church that's going to come out of this in the next several years is going to become that glorious church that whether you take me out or whether I make it till my Lord returns back, it doesn't matter because I loved him. 
And that very act of selflessness produces a fragrance that fills the house and that exposes the the phoniness and the and the pseudo religiosity of the Judas church because that's when he speaks up right there because he cannot abide and they will not be able to abide what the spirit of God is revealing. And he says, why didn't you sell this ointment? It's as if they go, because that other church is going to come out of this pandemic too. The guy who wants to have the Woodstock Easter service, those guys, they're going to come out and they're going to be worse. They're not going to go away, but they're going to manifest their character in such a disgusting way. And that's what Judas did. The ointment, the fragrance, he looked as an opportunity to make money. And he couched it in helping orphans, right? Helping the poor. They all do that. Send me your hundred bucks so I can feed these people in Haiti. You know, I mean, whatever. But you know the money never makes it there. It just doesn't. I mean, we've heard over and over and over again. <laughs> it just doesn't. But here we see him yeah. manifesting. And this is where we come to uh, today. And we'll just close with this because I just sense his presence. And, and look. He is the keeper of the bag. Let's keep reading. Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And, and then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but why? Because he was a thief and he was the keeper of the money. And he was the one who who put the money in the bag. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Hallelujah. <laughs> He says, against the day of my burying, she's kept this. She's protected it. She has guarded it by the Spirit. This has been guarded, and the Spirit has carried it to our time. A fragrant, glorious church is about to come out of this, and that other church is about to manifest itself, and it will ultimately go off and become both the Laodicean church and the synagogue of Satan. Now listen to this. Let's dig a little deeper and we'll close with this. Therefore, she also represents that church of Philadelphia in the end of the book of Revelation. Two churches emerge. Two churches emerge just before Jesus goes and takes John up into the throne room where God is going to sit down as judge and the revelation begins to unfold. And so this triggers, this is a tiny figure, because what would happen after this, brothers? We would, we would go into the Passover night, and then the betrayal. We have a Garden of Gethsemane we're going to talk about in the coming day. We have a trial. We have, uh, you know, the hour of trial that is coming on Jesus will also come in the end. We have uh, the exchange of goods and services representative of an economic system involved in the martyrdom of Jesus, in the crucifixion of Jesus. So an economic system will be involved in the persecution of the true church that will not go along with what's going to emerge out of this in the coming uh, days and, and a few short years. Now, let's just, let's just go over to, 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 to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to go real quick, real, real quick, and we're not going to take very much longer, but we're just going to give you some highlights for what's coming tomorrow. And we'll just start with, with Revelation chapter 3, because in Revelation chapter 3, at the end, beginning with verse 7, what we see is what we see in miniature type with Mary and Judas in this event we're talking about. The church becomes either the Philadelphia church or it becomes the Laodicean church. But once both churches are existing in full flight, Revelation chapter 4 begins, which is where John is caught up to, into heaven, and what he sees is the Father God beginning to position himself, and, and what he sees is the judgment of God getting ready to be set. And then we, it gives way to Revelation chapter 5, which is what do we see, brothers? We see John weeping because what is, what is revealed is that judgment has come, but nobody is worthy to open the book and to loose the seven seals, right? But what comes forth is an elder that says, do not weep. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and the offspring of David, has, be, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof, right? And then what's the next thing that he sees? And that's why I was talking to you about Passover is so significant. He sees a lamb, as it were, slain. 
but he is yet alive, right. having having seven horns and seven eyes, right? Representing his perfect authority, his perfect Holy Spirit vision, and, and the sacrifice that made it all possible. We're going to talk about all that as we go forward. But tomorrow we'll pick it up right here because Mary is that Philadelphia church. And you're going to see that the same characteristics that you see in the Philadelphia church and the emerging of us and the emerging in the description of the Philadelphia church of a synagogue of Satan, the, the fullness and the, and the fulfillment of what we see in this event we've been talking about today. Bottom line, we are headed into the most wonderful, glorious expression of the true church of Jesus Christ but we're also headed into the fullness of that backslidden church that will remove him from their sight and they will go on to fulfill their destiny. But the glorious church is beginning to be formed. The fragrance of the spirit is beginning to flow and the meat of the word is beginning to be unlocked because Jesus is coming. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Well, you know what a what a way to end. I, I sense his presence too, but I, I want to just tell this all our listeners today. There, there's two, two questions that I want to leave you with. Why Mary? Why wasn't it Martha? Why wasn't it Lazarus? And when you read the insights in the Word of God, why Mary? Mary loved to be at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says in, on one instance that there was a woman named Martha who received Jesus in her house, and she and her sister Mary, which also sat in Jesus' feet, and they, to what? To hear the word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, this does not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things but one thing is needful and Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her Martha knew and understood how important it is to be at Jesus' feet in this hour church we need to be at his feet in this hour that speaks of humility of seeking him in this hour the way that he would want us to do. The second question is, what church do you want to be part of? The one, the Mary, Martha, Lazarus church, or the Judas church that is arising in this hour? We pray that you were blessed today, and we pray that you join us back tomorrow, and be praying with us as these podcasts are going out. We sense that uh, it is the Lord, and as these podcasts go out, that is going to touch and open up eyes and touch hearts as they heed to the warning of the Spirit of the Lord. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as we say always, keep looking up. God bless.